Well, good morning. Welcome to Dwell Church again. Uh, my name is Nick. I'm one of the, I'm a pastor here at Dwell Church, and uh, I just want to see. I want to get a gauge today. Who had a good week here? Yeah, yeah. Any any um, Golden State fans? No, not to bring up your suffering. I know one, but he's not here right now. <laughs> we have a couple, but. Uh, I don't want to bring up too much, you know, hard feelings or suffering this morning. But any any Raptors fans? Who here didn't know that Canada even had a team? Yeah, it's like Canada can be competitive, really. <laughs> um, but they do. They're, they're not too nice to be in competitive sports. And uh, the Raptors finally won the first NBA Finals of the franchise. And for a lot of those guys, it was their first NBA championship altogether as players. So they were given on Thursday night, they had their, their moment. They were given their golden trophy. They got their nice shirts that said champions on it. And eventually, they'll get their championship ring. They finally saw that moment that they had worked so hard for. Months and months, it finally came to life. But how many know that they didn't just show up to the NBA playoffs and were like, all right, we're going to just win? It was work. It was putting in time and energy and effort. There was so much preparation to it. So they spent months and months working together, following their coach's game plan, trusting that their coach had the means to get them there. And when it came to the most important platform in all of the NBA, they were able to perform and deliver, but not first without going back to those things that they practice over and over again, those mechanics that they practice their whole lives and practice together as a team. So today, I have the privilege of continuing our Joseph series on the life of Joseph. And this week, we're going to be taking a look at Joseph's moment. He finally has his moment. We've been going through his life. We've been going th through uh, from the time he was 17 all the way to now he's 30. And here he is, this guy who's been through so much. He's been thrown by his brothers who hated him and were jealous into a pit. And he's been rising up in, in ranks in Potiphar's house where he was a slave only to have Potiphar's wife throw him out and call, call him all kinds of things probably and rip off, fire off all kinds of false accusations at him that he raped her because she wanted him, but he refused, and he re refused and resisted that temptation. And now we're going to take a look at his moment. He is finally exalted. He's also given a ring. He's given gold, and he's clothed in some beautiful threads. And then we're going to take a little backtrack to see how he gets there. Because we left him off with him in prison. He was in prison. He was probably like, what the heck is going on, God? How did I end up here? This isn't your plan. So I want you to turn with me this morning, if you have your Bibles, to Genesis 41, 41. We're going to take a look at uh, Joseph finally having his moment. And it'll be up here on the screen as well if you don't have your Bibles. So after years of that mistreatment and not-so-ideal environments and situations, Joseph starts to see the dream that God gave him. It's at the age of 30, 13 years later. 
Can you imagine like 13 years of holding on to this promise that God's given him, this plan that he saw at the young age of 17? In Genesis 41, 41, it says, So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put on a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all of Egypt. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the life of Joseph and the example that we have in it. We thank you, God, for your word, that there is so many people in your word that we can look to and relate to and see our own selves or our own lives and our own struggles and our own uh, shortcomings and so many people that we can look to and strive to be like as they followed you, as they humbly tried to serve you. So God, this morning as we look to Joseph and his circumstances and everything he's going through, I pray that you would help us to change and become the people that you desire us to be. Help us to have open hearts and minds this morning to receive the word from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So like I said, last week we left off where Joseph was in Pharaoh's prison. He was falsely accused of rape. It's in prison where we start to see a pattern. And it's the pattern of Joseph's life that faithfulness precedes blessing and position. Once again, Joseph, he finds himself in a place due to circumstances outside of his control. And once again, he's given control in that very same place. The warden put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners there in that dungeon. He was made responsible for everything in the prison to the point that he didn't, that it says that the warden didn't even pay attention to anything under Joseph's care. So this is where we're going to pick up Joseph's incredible story. I'll be paraphrasing most of this for the sake of time. We're going to try and cover a couple chapters here. But as we look to at Joseph's years in prison and his promotion in the palace today to that point, my hope is that we would be able to see that the seasons of preparation are significant part of God's plan for our lives. Joseph's season of preparation, in it, he finds God's blessing. In it, God's blessing is so evident that it's over his life. Time and time again, Joseph is given influence as he finds himself in less than ideal situations and circumstances. But before the blessings, before the influence, and throughout it, Joseph is faithful to God and he leads the way in living a life of integrity. So we're going to take a look at part two of Joseph's preparation in Egypt. In chapter 40, we're introduced to two new guys. We see all of a sudden these two guys show up to the prison. They're the cupbearer and the baker of Pharaoh. So the cupbearer and the baker. And they probably ended up there because both these guys had something to do with Pharaoh's diet. And it could have been that 
Pharaoh might have thought that someone was going after him through his diet, trying to kill him, trying to poison him or something. That's most likely why these two men have ended up in this prison. They're awaiting their trial to see if they're going to be executed, to see if they're going to be found guilty. So we meet these two, and both these guys are assigned to Joseph. And as we learned the last couple of weeks, God is always at work in the midst of the situation. In Joseph's life, he's always at work in Joseph's life. We see it so clearly. One night, both of them, the cupbearer and the baker, they have similar dreams. I can just picture them there. They're sleeping in their cell. You know, they're a little foggy, wake up, and they're like, it starts to come back to them more and more. You know how, like, you remember your dream more and more, like, once you get into it, you're like, wow, that was weird. That was really weird. What was going on there? And I can just picture them, the cupbearer, saying to the baker, I had the weirdest dream last night. And the baker replies, me too. Like, I, I also had a weird dream. And then, has that ever happened to anyone where you, like, share your dream with someone? They're like, I had almost the same dream or I had such a weird dream. I don't know about you guys. I don't remember my dreams. Sarah remembers every dream vividly. So I've, like, witnessed this encounter take place. It's actually happened with her and Jackie where they had, like, a very similar dream. And it's like an instant bond when, the, when this happens. So this kind of sets up their relationship a little more as they're in prison. And so the two of these guys, they have this we- these weird dreams, and they're super sad because in Egypt, this was the kind of thing that you would go and you would seek out a spiritual guide for. And that's just one amenity that Potiphar, he couldn't swing in his, in his prison. It was just probably too expensive to get that guide in on staff, you know. So I'm thinking probably these guys are starting to plan some sort of lobby for some sort of uh, prison reform, and they're going to want that if they're going to be there. But then Joseph, he, he enters into the picture. In the midst of their sadness, in the midst of their confusion, he witnesses to the two of them. They're sad because they have this, these dreams, and they, they don't know what it means. They can't interpret it themselves. So they share with Joseph him essentially saying this. Uh, Joseph essentially says this when he asks of them, why are you sad? And they answer that they've had these dreams and don't have an interpretation. He says, don't you know that there's a God, the one true God that created all things, who knows all and gives these dreams and their interpretation? So with that, first up is the cupbearer. He sees in his dream a vine. And on this vine, there's three branches. And from these three branches, all of a sudden, grapes are flourishing. They're coming out from it. They're just growing. And, and Joseph, he gives the interpretation. He tells the cupbearer that in three days, Pharaoh will release him from prison and restore him to his position. When Joseph is finished with his interpretation, he tells the cupbearer, hey, cupbearer, come on, like, when this happens, make sure you put in a good word for me with Pharaoh. He knows that Pharaoh has the power to get him out of his situation. So he uses some common sense in the process of God guiding him and giving him the interpretation to be like, maybe, maybe there's something at work here. He's recognizing it. So great news for the cupbearer, right? He's going to be restored to his position. He doesn't have to worry about that execution anymore. He doesn't have to worry about his dream. He has the interpretation. So naturally, you would think, you know, these two probably had a bond, right? The baker all of a sudden is probably like, you know what? 
that sounded really good. I want my interpretation. My interpretation is going to be great. But as some of you know who have read the story, it's not so great. The, the baker, he shares his dream. And his dream was that he had on his head three baskets. And in the baskets were baked goods. And on the upper basket, these birds were coming by and they were picking out and eating out of the, the, the baked goods out of the basket. And he's probably sharing his dream with excitement, thinking, okay, I'm, I'm ready for my good news. And here's where we see a little glimpse of Joseph's faithfulness. Because Joseph's there, and he gave the good interpretation, right? No problem. I can give good news. God's given me an interpretation. This is great. I want to share with you the good news that I, that I have. But Joseph, he's faithful to deliver the news to the baker when it's not so great. He proceeds to interpret the dream, and he tells the baker that his dream he had, the three baskets represented three days. But his three days, at the end of his three days, Pharaoh, it says in verse 19, will lift off his head and impale his body on a pole. And the birds will eat away at your flesh. So, not the most lighthearted interpretation of a dream, but nevertheless, God gave it to him. And he was faithful to still go ahead and deliver the truth to him. So it couldn't have been an easy message to deliver, right? But Joseph, he chooses to be a trustworthy messenger of God. He chooses to deliver the truth, and he's obedient to God no matter what the cost. So Joseph remains faithful. And then in cha as chapter 40 closes out, everything happens just as Joseph interpreted. But what, a, what good would Joseph's story be without another setback, right? That's his life. That's who he is. He's just full. His life is full of setbacks. So the cupbearer, he's restored to his position, but then he just completely forgets about Joseph. Joseph's just there in the dungeon, and he doesn't get set free. Here was the climactic ending to a long series of malice and injustice in Joseph's life. Joseph had already felt unsettled in his nature of when he discovered that his family was so dysfunctional, that his brothers had such hatred for him. He already went through the unjust hatred of his brothers, the, the shock of being torn away from his home forever, the humiliation of slavery, and the bite of slander against him. Now he faces what looks like a non-ending road to death in a foreign dungeon. Each day was probably nothing more than a monotonous, slow-moving grind for him back down there in that dungeon. He repeated probably the same thing over and over again. For Joseph, it must have looked like nothing was ever going to change. He must have felt like life was just stuck in a permanent holding pattern. But Joseph held on to his faith in God throughout it. He made up his mind that he would continue to live a hope-filled life. It would be two more years in the dungeon until he has his moment in the palace. And we don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us what went on in those two years. We don't know how he spent his time there in the dungeon for those remaining years. But we know that even in the most unlikely of places, in the darkness of that dungeon, God blessed Joseph. He gave him influence wherever he was. If Joseph, had, Joseph hadn't been faithful to God in that process, in that prison over those years, he probably wouldn't have had his blessing in the palace. So it's in the dungeon, in the prison, 
that we learn a few things about Joseph's faithfulness at this stage of his life. The first one is that Joseph's attitude remained positive because he remains in intimate relationship with God. And God continues to bless him because of it. If Joseph wasn't in relationship with God, he wouldn't have been actively seeking God day in and day out. And I highly doubt that he would have been able to seek those opportunities to witness to others like he is to these men. And he probably wouldn't have been able to deliver such a quick prophetic interpretation of their dreams. Joseph didn't have to ask these men why they were so sad. It wasn't like it was his job. It wasn't like, sure, they were under his care, but they, he could have just left them sulking in their sadness, right? He made the choice to engage with them. And when I was thinking about this, it was a little convicting for me because I started to think about all the people in our lives that we pass by, that we have maybe short encounters with day in and day out, and all the people that we have a choice to either engage in their lives, our lives with their lives more, or we can leave them. There's all kinds of people who are lost and confused, who are trying to find their way, who are stuck in their sadness and feeling like they are lost in their need. And that chances are that almost every day, maybe for some of you, we, every week, if you don't get out too much, you come across these people. It could be a person in need, a homeless person, a, a neighbor, a friend, a family member. What are you doing to engage these people where they're at and shed some light on their situation? Giving someone in need some food is a great thing to do, right? But how much greater would it be if you were to just take a couple extra minutes, get to know their name, maybe get to know a little bit of their story? And I know that's not always easy because our lives are so busy, right? We're in a hurry all the time. But if we are able to engage and, and see the need in this world, that's what God is calling us to. Joseph doesn't just... He doesn't just look at his circumstance and think, wow, I'm in a dungeon, I'm in a prison, whatever, my life's done. I don't know where my future leads, but he takes advantage of each and every moment he engages with the people that are around him because he knows that God's still at work and that God still has a plan. It's a great thing to message a friend and let them know that your thoughts and prayers are with them, but it's an even greater thing to actually ask them if you can pray with them to actually go and help them in their need and, and just be there for them in person, physically. So what's the extra step that you can do to engage with someone in need? It might be someone you already know. It might be someone who you cross paths with just as you're out and about or at work, wherever. When you per continue to pursue intimate relationship with God, no matter what your circumstances, you not only gain a new perspective on your situation, but you gain a new perspective on the, for situations that other people are in. And you're inspired to engage with them, to be a part of their life in some way, some form, and be a source of hope through that. So the second thing that I think we kind of can say we learned from Joseph in his time in prison is that he's committed his, to his actions staying true to his convictions. 
He's committed to his actions lining up with his convictions. As I mentioned, that news that he had to deliver to the baker, it wasn't the greatest news. It probably scared him to go ahead and deliver that news. It might have been that that was his fate because maybe he was actually guilty and you know, did try to poison Pharaoh. But we don't know because the scripture doesn't tell us. So whatever the case, one of Joseph's greatest convictions is that God is not some far-off being. He doesn't leave us in confusion. God speaks and he directs. So when God asks us to do something difficult, we have to trust that the outcome is for his glory. Joseph had limited resources, right? He was an imprisoned slave, after all. But that didn't mean that his life was meaningless and his growth was at a standstill. He knew that he could either choose to be stagnant or choose to just kind of give up on life, or he could keep moving forward. He could keep trusting in God. He could keep pursuing that relationship with God. So he trusted that God still had a plan, and in that showed the kind of faith that believes preparation is a part of that plan. It's so easy for us to look at our our lives and our situations and think, I feel like I'm just so far off from God's plan for my life, or I feel like what I'm doing right now is so insignificant. But it's so important to examine your life and see, God, how are you preparing me for whatever might come at any time? Because for Joseph, we'll see in a little bit, It came in an instant. He didn't know when the time would come when he was going to be at the palace. But it came all of a sudden. But he was ready because he he didn't forsake that time of preparation. He took advantage of every moment. So don't despise the days of preparation. Especially if it's for, if it's because it doesn't look like what you want it to look like. Right? I think for me personally, my work hasn't always looked like what I wanted it to look like in the past. The jobs that I had didn't always look like what I wanted to look like in the past. When I first came here, it was, well, I don't think I'm quite getting paid enough for L.A. And it didn't look like what I thought it wanted to look like. And then God kind of opened a door. You know, I prayed and sought out something. And God opened a door. And I hated that job for the first few months. I've shared this with a couple of people before, but I used to, sometimes drive to work and kind of fantasize about maybe getting in an accident but not getting hurt and no one else getting hurt because I was like I hate this job but I later learned like I pressed through and I asked God like God help me I later was able to look back and see I ended up loving the job I was able to see that God was kind of preparing me he was stretching me he was growing me it's it's not always easy when you're going through those seasons but it's important when you're going through them to try and seek out how God's growing you how God's preparing you for whatever opportunities come about. I got to meet people in that job that I wouldn't have normally met and have discussions about God. And I got to meet people in L.A. who had more money than I might ever have. (laughs) And I got to learn how to engage with those kind of people. I had never really done that in L.A. before. So God might have been preparing me for something in the future that through that job that I don't even know about yet. You can't just look at your situation and get lost in your your sadness and your feeling of like, I'm just so stuck. It's okay to feel that way. God wants you to bring that before him. He wants you to process that with him. But it's important to 
see how God's growing you, see how he's preparing you, but also to not get so caught up in your own uh, self-examination and, and be so introspective that you don't see those opportunities, that you don't see those other people who are going through things and to be able to be there for them. So he trusted that God still had a plan, and in that, he showed the kind of faith that believes preparation is part of the plan. So for us, it's all about seeking out opportunities to love and serve others, to be a witness of God's goodness, to grow and surrender anything in you that will hinder you when those moments arise, when those moments present themselves, when opportunity comes to be used by God to bring hope and to bring light. Joseph didn't have resources you would expect a future leader of the world's most powerful nation to have. Maybe you, you're like, man, I don't have nearly as much as I think I need to get to where I think I'm going. But Joseph took advantage of what he did have. And the most important part of that the most important thing for him when he came to leading the world's most powerful nation was that he had a relationship with God. He had a connection and an intimacy with God that was strengthened through all those trials that he faced. And for us, we might th be thinking or struggling with, what's God's plan for my life? Because it's not really looking like I thought it would be. But the number one most important thing for us as followers of Christ is that our plan, part of it, our assignment, our greatest assignment is to pursue God, to be in relationship with God, to be growing into the person that God created you to be. And that only comes, that refining only comes when you're in prayer and when you're reading scripture and when you're going before God in, in those disciplines. So the primary, most important thing has to be a pursuit of God. God will show us the plan the rest of the way as we trust in him, as we do that. So a lot has to happen on the inside of us before we can really handle the future that God has for us. Strong character, character is essential for withstanding those storms when they come. There are a lot of people who have gifts, who have talents, and those gifts and talents get them to certain places, but the reality is that unless they have the character to stay there, that they're, they're going to end up just backtracking, just not being able to stand there and really make a difference where they are. But if they do have strong Christ-like character and match that with your talents, with your gifts, with your abilities, then you can do so much for God. You can do so much to serve and help others. So we see through all, throughout all of Scripture that our tri trials are helping to shape and refine us. Even though it looks like nothing's happening, like nothing will ever change, circumstances are being aligned and you're being refined by your sufferings. First Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. So what does that mean? He means here that suffering, your suffering, your loss, your heartaches, they're not a surprise. They're a plan. They're not absurd, meaningless, and purposeless. They're part of God's refining process in you. 
God allows us to face these things so that we can cling to him all the more and find his goodness all the more. So what assignment is he planning and preparing you for? What wisdom is he imparting to you in this season of your life? What pride is he trying to maybe drive out? What part of your character is he overhauling in that place of lack and loss? Because pain properly handled can shape you for greatness. It's a power of godly character during trials that really makes the difference. So here's the purpose in the pain. It's that God's preparing you. It's all part of his plan. So it's crucial for Joseph as he goes forward into his moment in the palace. He knows that God's preparing him. So the story, it continues that Pharaoh had two very similar dreams. And you may know the dreams. Dreams are basically, real quick, that seven cows that are very fat and healthy are eaten up by seven skinny cows that are, look sickly. Seven full heads of grain are, are swallowed up by these barren heads of grain. And Joseph, he gives the interpretation. He's called out of the dungeon because the cupbearer suddenly remembers, oh, there's that guy who was able to interpret my dream, and everything came true. Two years later, his moment is here, just like that. God can change our circumstances in an instant. Just like that, he's getting a clean shave, he's putting on new clothes, and he's coming before the world's most powerful guy to interpret his dream. A guy who is known as a god in his nation. And he's coming before him because he serves and worships the one true God and is able to interpret and has that reputation now because he witnessed, because he was willing. So we know that he didn't waste all those years of preparation. Joseph, he models that faithfulness, that godly character for us to live out. Joseph's life in the palace, it teaches us that when God gives you a platform you've been waiting for, it's crucial to promote God and not yourself. When he gets there and Pharaoh's like, I heard you can interpret my dream. He says, I can't interpret it, but God can. He points to God. He gives God the glory. He pushes it away from himself. So Joseph, in this moment, he probably could have tried to manipulate that situation to get favor from Pharaoh, to promote himself. But he chooses to replace any fear of going back to the dungeon with a trust that God will place him where he needs to be. So for our lives, when we're finally in that position, when we're called to that platform, whatever it might be that we've been seeking after or maybe that God surprises us with, that we're, we're feeling like, wow, I'm really in God's plan. When, if you're, that's you and you're in that moment and you don't feel like you're struggling in that preparation, know that God will replace any fears that you have of you not being competent, not being able to do it with, when you trust in him. Trust always extinguishes the fear. So for Joseph, he trusted in the Lord. And he was able to give the interpretation of the dream. And he told him the, what was going to go down, that there would be seven years of famine. And they had to, before that, there would be seven years of, of this amazing harvest. And they had to take one-fifth of that and store up and get ready. So he gives him this interpretation. And Joseph... When he does that, Pharaoh 
responds and he, and he gets together with his guys, his main advisors, and he says to them, the plan, or it says in verse 37, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials. These guys, his officials, would have been the first ones to challenge Joseph's wisdom. They would be the ones in competition with him to win over Pharaoh's ear and favor. There was something so wise, though, and so filled with character about Joseph that he was able to present this plan, and they saw, his competitors saw, that this was the right way to go, and they didn't challenge it. There was plenty of priests, plenty of advisors, plenty of magicians, plenty of holy men in Egypt, but none of them were able to do what Joseph did, because in Joseph was the Spirit of God. Joseph came along, and he was there and was able to deliver this interpretation. This is the first time in the Bible that someone is referred to as having the Spirit of God. And I think that's amazing. I think that's significant because what is he doing? He's not preaching some message. He's not singing some song. He's not leading a group in some kind of study. He's just practically carrying out the wisdom that God has given him. He's telling them this plan that he thinks will help them survive because God's given him that wisdom. So for you, invite God into the things that you do. Invite the Spirit of God into the things that you do, no matter what it is in your day-to-day life. When you do that, you're inviting God into the monotonous to become holy, to become set apart for him, to become worship. So Joseph teaches that to us in the palace. And then, finally, Pharaoh said to him, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. And all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Just like that, Joseph promoted from prison to palace. Joseph looked at like an overnight success probably to anyone looking from the outside. But the reality is that he had 13 years of preparation, 13 years of being faithful to God, 13 years of digging in, seeking God, and committing, being committed to godly character. So when you find yourself in a place of preparation, if that's where you feel like you're at, here are three things that I want to encourage you to do. One, examine your motives. Are you striving to be doing something or be in a certain position because it will make you more comfortable, because it will give you some kind of praise in some way, or are you striving after it because in that place you'll be able to serve people better. You'll be able to give God glory, to bring people hope. And number two, first one is examine your motives. Number two, get out of your comfort zone. So before we can move forward into a new thing, we usually have to let go of something old something we've been doing a while. God might nudge you outside of your comfort zone toward unfamiliar experiences to encourage you to rely on him more. He might put you in a place where you're feeling like, I can't do this. Like I said, you might feel unprepared to do it, but God might be putting you there so that he can grow you. So we can't just wrestle with ourselves wondering if we can do something. We have to trust in God. So when you feel like maybe you're hearing something from God, don't question it too much. Go with it. 
follow in it. See how he confirms those things as you move forward. Or maybe he shuts the door or maybe he stops you. You have to be willing to take the leap of faith sometimes. And the third thing is to embrace discipline. The Bible tells us that no discipline brings joy, but seems grievous and painful. But afterwards, it yields peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's in Hebrews 12:11. Discipline isn't always fun, but it's essential for our character and our development. Self-discipline is a fruit of the Spirit. It's required for us to develop properly. Self-discipline, when we develop it, when we do the right thing consistently, when we put to practice those things over and over again for a long time, it's gonna be, there's going to be a payoff. It might be in your financial state where you're at, paying off debts. It might be not overspending. It might be in your health, getting the proper nutrition and exercise. It might be in your speech, changing the way you speak about others and even about yourself. It might be just spending more quality time with God. As you become disciplined in every area of your life, you will be better equipped to handle the bigger responsibilities in the future when those moments come. If Jackie can come up, we're going to go ahead and close out. Or Paul. So the reality is that God has amazing plans for our lives. How do we know that? Because... He created us uniquely, each and every one of us. He designed us with gifts that other people don't have. And it's not always this big grand thing that everyone looks up at. But every moment is significant. Every moment of our lives can be significant because it's done, if it's done in the spirit, if it's done when we invite God into it. Don't despise those small days of preparation, those small tasks, whatever it might be, those small opportunities that come up, the people in our lives that we're able to witness to, to be there for and serve. You'll get there as long as you're willing to do your part and trust God to do his part. And the more you lean on him and trust in him through that process, the sooner you'll be ready to do what he's prepared for you. When it comes to leadership, a lot of times, when it comes to influence, because that's really what leadership is, there's this feeling of, I'm scared, but I'm going to trust that I'm prepared. For Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, the spirit, the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. So what does it look like for you to prepare a ready spirit? What does it look like to have a spirit that's prepared and available for when God says, it's time to step out and go. Your moment is here. That although you are afraid, you might be able to remind yourself of God's word that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit. You can be scared, but God wants to prepare you. He wants to replace fear in your life with more trust in him and it comes with you making that decision I'm going to put my trust in him I'm going to be faithful in whatever situation I'm going to continue to pursue this relationship with God even when it feels stagnant even when it feels like I don't know why I'm doing this press in, press forward because God will honor that 
We go through those seasons so that we can know and look back and see how he's growing us so that we can become the people he's created us to be. So this morning, I want you to just dwell on that. Just meditate on that. God, where am I? Am I in the season of preparation? Am I in my moment? Do I have that platform? Who do I have influence over in my life? Who can I be there to serve? Because know that in every circumstance, in every situation, God wants to bless you when you're submitted to his will, when you're submitted to serving him, to honoring him. So let's pray this morning. God, we thank you. I thank you for each and every person here, that they're here because they have determined in their heart that they want to follow you. They want to know you better. They want to live a life of purpose. They want to serve you and follow your plan for their life, God. So I pray that you would reveal to each and every person in this place by your spirit what it is that you're doing in their life right now and how they're to respond. God, I pray that for those who have been feeling weary, you would give strength. For those who have been feeling confused, you would bring clarity. For those who have been feeling lost, God, you would rush in your presence, your loving presence, God, in this moment. As we sing this song, God, may we just surrender our lives before you. God, we're here for you. Have your way and do your work in us. In your name we pray.